Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. For this is a message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. I want to, uh, uh, I love the fact that we, as we installed our, our new elders and deacons, congratulations. I love, um, I think, the, the, the phrase that, that encompasses everything um, that took place this morning was, let's do this. <laughs> Amen. By way of introduction to our text today, I'd just like to share with you a personal uh, experience that I, I, I believe has a great, um, uh, has a direct application to our passage today, where experience has a big impact on one's understanding and one's reflection of a certain experience, of a certain event that has taken place. Recently, my family and I transitioned from the suburbs uh, to the city, and there were a lot of transitions that took place, but one of the biggest transitions that we realized, that I personally realized in the experience, was uh, the, the use of public restrooms that are much smaller in the city, in businesses, and in restaurants, and they're either either just have one stall and uh, one sink, or uh, it's just uh, the sink is outside or, and the stall is inside. And oftentimes, I take my two children, uh, my son who is seven and my daughter who is three, to the restroom, and all three of us, we make our way to the restroom. And oftentimes, it takes more time for us to wash up and wash our hands and use the restroom uh, than it usually would when I would just go in. And oftentimes it would be that the restrooms are so small that we would have to do this little dance inside the restroom. But there'd be times when there would then be another individual that would come after us and would come into the restroom and wait behind us. And I feel so bad because there's three of us, 
and he's going to have to wait a lot longer than he usually would if it was just me by myself. And as you can imagine, it takes longer, even with my younger daughter, where uh, her now outfits require a little bit more time. And while we finish up and, and I'm helping with washing our hands and things like that, I apologize to the gentleman that's standing or waiting behind us. And something consistently takes place. As I apologize for being so slow, as I apologize looking like uh, an individual in a circus who is holding up my daughter on my knee while not touching the sink and all the water that's remaining there, while doing the soap and washing her hands in midair and apologizing, what constantly happens is a gentleman will either say, take your time, I know exactly how, I know exactly what you're going through, this too shall pass, or I have three children of my own, I have four children of my own, I have a daughter of my own, so take your time. On the other hand, there'll be gentlemen that will stand behind us and won't say anything, and will be looking very annoyed that I brought three children to the restroom at once. And I feel very bad, but why such a different response from these men? One group have personally experienced exactly what I'm experiencing. They know my urgent feeling to, to get my children washed and out. They've gone through this themselves. The struggle is real. Especially when the sink is high and all these other things that take place, right? On the other hand, there's a group of men that have possibly no idea, or perhaps they have never had children of their own, or they don't have siblings, they've never thought of these challenges, or they've never took their own children to the restroom, maybe. But for whatever reason, they don't understand because they just don't know. In, in our short time together this morning, we have a great opportunity to share a similar situation of responding to the love of God because of a personal experience. And not responding or partially responding or even think we are responding with no experience or any other kind of reference. But a most important command and responding to this command of loving one another rests upon personal experience. So who's this sermon for? Is this sermon only for our believers? Yes, it is. It encourages us to hold truth to what we are testifying in faith and therefore how it should transmit externally as a testimony of our faith. But also, it also speaks to our visitors, our friends, or maybe those of us who have not exactly made that confession of faith. It is also for you to reconsider, to see the love of Christ for what it is and how that translates to those living in love that are affected by it, that are transformed by it, and therefore genuinely love because of it. So here's the baseline. 
In the life of a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, loving one another is a mark of salvation. It's a mark of maturity. It's a mark of growth. True love for one another is only expressed if and only when one has truly experienced and understood the love of Christ. Believers of faith are called not only to an internal, personal transformation, but to having that transformation, this personal transformation flow out externally for the building and furtherment of God's kingdom. Today's text specifically directs us on what this external transformation looks like and challenges us to intentionally reflect on what this means as individuals as we call ourselves Christians. The author squarely places all emphasis on loving one another as an outflow of salvation. Although we don't have time this morning to go through the whole letter, I believe today's passage does express a thrust for the letter most clearly. Through the text this morning, we'll be able to identify three progressions of truth, and I hope this will help organize our whole passage this morning. So the first progression of truth is that we need to recognize that where we stand as transformed believers, where do we stand? Secondly, what footsteps do we follow as transformed believers? And lastly, what should be our response? Let's look at verse 11 through 12. Where do we stand at transformed, as transformed believers? The passage starts with a remembrance for each person that loving one another is a genuine reflection of salvation that is heard what does it say in verse 11? From the beginning. John calls upon the readers of this letter in Ephesus to reflect and remember what you have heard from the beginning. Not the first time he's saying this. Actually, he says this in John 1.1 and 2.7. But each time it's a reminder of what you have heard from that beginning a reminder of doctrinal importance that he reminds the believers that the faith is found upon the foundation of love. And here, as he, emphasis, as he emphasizes from the beginning, it's not a recent news that they are to love one another, but that has been from the beginning and it has not changed at all. The emphasis is on Christian tradition handed down from various church leaders. It is not new, it's not groundbreaking, but it has been from history, from passed down from the history of salvation, that which you have heard, hearing somebody speaking, it has been passed down. John identifies where the believer stands upon, and upon this foundation, what we know is truth, heard from the beginning, we are to love one another. One of the great joys that we have here at Westminster and also in our Presbyterian faith, in our traditions, is our, our reading of liturgy. My son recently, as we visited a, a Presbyterian church, asked me, why do we read so much at church? 
And it was to remind us of these truths. It's a great privilege to be able to be part of a church that reads liturgy. Verse 12 makes clear of example of what love is and what love is not. John clarifies this and gives an example of Cain and Abel. The act of murdering Abel was not the focus, but rather the origins of where that action came from. And Don is pointing to the reader saying, Cain's action was of the evil one and murderer of his brother. And the outflowing was evil while Abel's was righteous. The origins started differently. The opposite of love is clearly demonstrated by evil as Cain is referenced. His heart of evil, which leads to murder, his brother is pointed to all of mankind. Not being surprised in recognizing, as we see in verse 13, that it's alive and well for all of us to see. And when you live a life that is an outpouring from God and not from Satan, you will be hated. We continue on in verse 14 and 15 when it talks about the assurance of believers who love one another. John uses the imagery of passing over from death to life and answers the questions that verse 10 raise. So how do we know who have been born of God? Who are the children of God? We know that we have passed from death to life because we also love our brothers. John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Verses 13, 12 and 13 reveal that anyone disobeys the command to love, he belongs to the evil one rather than God. Then they live in darkness and resent the light of genuine Christians. By contrast, verses 14 and 15 calls upon the obedience to the law of love and how it's the outflowing evidence that believers have crossed over from death to life. John makes it very clear that in this side of heaven that we live in, we live on in one or two ways, having crossed over, living in the realm of love and life, or having crossed and, or not having crossed over, as we see in verse 14, and abiding in death. Not only does this have current consequences, but has eternal consequences. Looking at the passed out or having crossed over, John is referring to a past act of Christian commitment which has enduring effects, our salvation. Therefore, in verse 15, collectively, John points out that not only loving is equivalent to hate, not loving is equivalent to hate, where murder is simply a fulfillment of that attitude. So, where do we stand? Where is the outflow of love? It's a genuine reflection of our salvation, where that is from. We stand bold when we know this is what we are supposed to do. Love one another because we have been asked to do so. 
It's very clear. In chapter 4, verses 19, what does it say? It says, we love because he loved us. Oftentimes, we may feel uncomfortable, not as confident, confident to love genuinely or love to others and may question. But this passage, verses 11 through 15, makes it very clear, no, actually, you do have full confidence why is it we move over to our second point which is because we know whose footsteps we follow and we are sure of this unchanging foundation that we follow which is in verse 16 what does it say by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers The love that believers reflect is not a love that is cheaply manufactured from a feeling or a personal interpretation based on a societal acceptability. It actually does not stem from a definition of love that is easily breakable, manipulated, or can bring skepticism. Rather, it is a love that is set on the foundation of Christ's example. We know love and can love because of what Christ has done for us. In this passage, when it says, in this verse, when it says, we know, it explains and it shows that the knowledge that is involved belonging to the historical event of Jesus Christ is what is important. That is what has been transmitted. This love cannot be derived from a grasp of just some idea, but it's actually a historical event and where Jesus Christ lays down his life for us. It's a sacrificial death, a love for all. And there's cost involved in this. It's an unconditional acceptance of another, and it was accomplished. These are the shoulders that we stand upon when we seek to love our brothers. This love shown to us is the same love that we have been asked and have been commanded to love one another because it reflects the love received. In Romans 5, 8, it states, but God shows his love for us that in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's a comfort and surety of knowing that you know whose footsteps you follow. Why? Because it's been done. It's real, it's not fake, it's sure, and it's ultimately to succeed. Interestingly, in the animal kingdom, there's an example of this with elephants. In Namibia, the elephants, they travel 150 miles in seasons to find food and find water. But the matriarch is the only one that actually knows the direction of traveling these 150 miles. And this matriarch, this, uh, the, the lead uh, female of the group, leads the whole family across miles and miles. But actually, how does she know the direction to travel every year, every season? It's been passed down to her. And they say, that scientists say that as it's passed down, it's actually passed down through chemical secretions, vibrations, gestures, and touch. 
And we see the whole families relying upon this one matriarch for this long journey. And why do they do so? Because it's been done. It's been passed down. Those are the footsteps that are trustworthy. For those of us who have children, for, our, for those of us who, with our parents as well, I think we've all heard our parents say, or maybe we have also said and, and, and told our children, trust me, I know, right? There's no need to explain, but you have already experienced it. You know that the, the, the situation. You know what is dangerous, what is not. You know the direction. And you ask your children to trust you. And they, what do they do? They follow. And maybe you as children have followed your parents' lead on, on things as well. These are the footsteps that we stand upon just as Christ is, and his death and his love that he shows for us are the footsteps that we follow. And lastly, how are we to respond? How do we respond to this genuine outflowing of love? Follow with me in verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. John here is giving a practical example. You see, knowing the context, he's writing to the churches of Ephesus and the surrounding believers. And Ephesus is current-day Western Turkey. It was a wealthy, highly influential port city in the Roman pro province of Asia. Yet they were often blind or mute to living out of their faith. They had the means, but often were blind or mute. And John gives this practical example to the church. He makes a contrast in the lack of engaging with the person in need, yet having the means personally to serve and provide is contrary to imitating Christ. In other words, you have the means to love, yet you don't do it. The charge then we see in verses 18, little children. Basically, he's, he's talking as a spiritual father for these uh, congregants. He's saying little children, all in general, let us not just give lip service. Let us just not talk about loving, but let's actually do it. Let's express it. Let's act upon it in truth. We see that it says in verse 14, no, sorry, in verse 15, it says, let's not just do it. Oh, sorry, verses 18, right? Let us not just love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Those two, those four words, word and talk, deed and truth, are actually opposed to each other and saying, Let's not just talk about it, but actually do it, but do it truthfully. James 2, 15 to 16 says this. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not, you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is this? 
Brothers, I would like to end, brothers and sisters, I'd like to end with three applicational points here. The first is we need to intentionally remind ourselves of the gravity of salvation in order to live a gospel-centered life revealed by loving one another. The second is let us not forget to appeal to our good and faithful Father who is the source of all love in good times and also in challenging times to love one another. Let's always refer back to the good and solid foundation for strength and for our faith to love as he loved us. And finally, let us not profess by the tongue that we love, but prove it by deed, for this is the only true way of showing love. This morning, we saw the installation of deacons and elders to the service of the church. For those of you who've been installed, you have been called publicly to this role to love and to serve. May you find joy and energy in knowing on whose shoulders you stand upon to give you strength in the ministry of love. For all of us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have been transformed by the love of God, may we be challenged to live, to grow, and further God's kingdom in truth as we seek to love one another and those around us. May this be the lens that we all seek to view others through, impacting our testimony of who our Lord is over our lives. And as a church, may we seek to love each other, serve each other, and serve and seek our missionaries with the same lens as we are called to do personally as well. And if you do not know the love of God and are unsure, if you have really experienced the impact of this love in your life, I invite you to talk to somebody, to talk to Robin, to talk to your leaders and sisters and brothers in the church because I'm sure they would be thrilled to talk to you. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord continue to impress upon us the good news of his love through the sacrifice of his son, having died on the cross for our sins. And may that be a loving of one another, be an outflow of our salvation as we recognize the gravity and how we are to respond to this. Join me in praying. Our Father, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you that we've been charged knowing from the beginning the example that you have given us of your son dying on the cross for our sins. And that love is what propels us to then go forth to love others. I pray that you may energize those of us here and those of us listening online to continue to express and share your love to others. Not just speak about it, not just talk about it, but actually do it in deed and in truth. And through this, Lord, may we be a testimony of what you have done for each and every one of us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.